Welcome to the Wealth Building Made Simple podcast with Philip Washington, Jr. Today's episode is brought to you by WealthBuildingMadeSimple.us. Today, Philip talks about your purchasing power over the next decade. Philip Washington, Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. We are back with another episode of Wealth Building Made Simple, brought to you by Stonehill Wealth Management. You can find it at StonehillWealthManagement.com. We deliver financial planning, investment advice, and really helping individuals and business owners maximize their net worth. I forgot the second sponsor, which is my other company, WealthBuildingMadeSimple.us. <laughs> That's the newsletter where I share my thoughts in detail around topics that are uh, changing the world. And this is the topic right here today. It's going to be a couple different parts of the theme, but it's it's a so let me give the backstory. So like I plan at the end of the year to not do much, you know, just enjoy the kids being home. And I did. We had some good time. And I was going to catch up on some shows. Well, I didn't catch up on my shows because I got lost in a rabbit hole of uh, of, of, of finance, right? Which tend, which tends to happen. It's, it's what I it's what I love to do. And what got me going was, you know, as a as a wealth manager who like manages money, um, in order to think about and update my investment ideas. I have to have sort of some some sort of assumption of like valuations or like which assets are valued higher or low relative to other assets. And so that 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 you have to think about uh, uh, inflation, right? That's and that's asset inflation and uh, goods and services inflation. You have to think about interest rates. Um, and 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 then and then you got to think about currency. Uh, and and not just um and you got to like look around the world. Because uh, you got like a competitive economies and all that kind of nerd type stuff, and you really and is you really can't use the government printed information for a couple of reasons. A is backward looking, uh, a lagging indicator, and you know it's very similar to asking a butcher if you should eat meat. All right, there's going to be inherent bias you know, in, in their advice. And so you gotta, you gotta think from your own mind and and look at it. And so, you know, I got on this thing thinking about, all right, like I know, let me take another step too. If, 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 if you look at the mid 1800s to like the early 1900s, the reserve currency was the U the, the pound in the UK. And there was like a, that period of time was like super low inflation, like, like, something like 1% uh, a year inflation, very low inflation, but it was similar pattern to America. Lots of, you know, old, older demographic. A lot of the younger folks have moved to America, lots of debt. Um, uh, so, uh, and the other component, 
that is very similar is you had the industrial revolution. So you had like technology that was changing the way business was being done and lowering the cost of everything. And so that deflationary pressure put pressure on interest rates and kept them, you know, super low. But you had a lot of asset inflation uh, in the uh, in in the UK, right? Because with rates being low uh, and uh, and the government lots of debt and you know printing money to pay for the debt, if you have money, you're like cool. Like what that means to me is I'm going to borrow money cheaply and I'm going to invest in uh, uh, real estate. I'm going to invest in the economy of the future. At the time, that was an Amer- that was America. So if you like read the biographies of J.P. Morgan of you know, all these people uh, that built uh, the early version of America, a lot of their financing came from UK, right? Because they were getting money cheap and investing it in new opportunities. Um, and so in, in that environment, if you were like an investor, if you were like a regular average day person and you were going, well, man, inflation's at 1% a year, you know, that's that's pretty low. I don't have to worry. Well, you watched, you were like a frog boiling in the pan. Right over time, because it got very expensive for you to live if you were not also borrowing money and investing in the new economy and or real estate. So, like the same things play out. An economy is like a car. Like once you understand how to fix a car and the mechanics of it, then you understand how an economy. You just have to. Most a lot of us don't zoom out. You know, we only think in the microcosm of our experience. So you got to zoom out and look at all the kinds of different points in time, and then you go, "Oh, there's a pattern. Here we are in this pattern, right?" And so um, what I'm saying is. Now I went, all right, what what metric am I going to use to give me a baseline for what, like, um, like what return I need to, 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 out, to, to preserve my purchasing power, right? Because that's the goal of investing is preserving your purchasing power, you know? Like, uh, um, and so I use the average average price of a home in the U.S. because I'm I'm using dollars. So I'm an American. I'm using dollars. The average price of a U.S. home is going to capture like that that uh, translation of purchasing power. I feel like well, because if you if you really looked at the uh, if if you think of wealth in relative terms, you can go to any time period in any society, right? And and even when the currency like was being you know uh, printed away and um, either causing asset inflation or goods and service inflation, right? You always knew your wealth relative to like how many homes you can buy, right? Because think of the homes as like if there are ten homes in a community and the 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 money is is here, right? Um, then then right uh, and then the price of the home is going to be like the amount of money, the amount of homes, the amount of money divided by the homes, right? It's going to be the cost of a home. Assuming, you know, I'm oversimplifying it, but assuming like all the money is going to be spent to buy homes, right? But then if you double the money supply and it's still only 10 homes, then it's going to double the cost of the money. You know, like the, the homes didn't change, the money supply changed, right? And so that's why if if you do it, in something that's a hard asset like land or gold, if you if you if you price your purchasing power in something that can't be manipulated by a central authority, which is what they're doing around the world right now with currency, then you get a better baseline, right, for relative purchasing power. And so, in this, to me, using the hard currency like U.S. homes 
is a good baseline to then decide what I'm going to invest to over and above that, right? So, so that's where I'm at. So what I did was I said, all right, what is my expectation of home price rising over the next decade, right? 11.5%. I'm not going to get into how I came with the number, but 11% is the number. And so then I go, all right, cool. Like if, so, so a decade from now, like, or let me backtrack. The average home today, I looked it up some website, right? It's probably not going to be, it, it's, it was a reputable website, but the number was 513,000, which is the average home in America. Don't worry about if that number is right or not, right? Just because when you're building this thing, you just have to have an anchor to project from. Um, but some sites may say 513, some sites may say 369. That doesn't really matter. I just needed to have a baseline, but let's say 513, right? So if, if at 11% a year, right, that grows to about a $1.5 million home in 10 years from now. But what, but um, a $1.5 million home 10 years from now is going to like be the equivalent of a $500,000 home today, right? So it's same home, different price because the money's worth a lot less more, a lot, a lot less. So, so that's your baseline. And then, so then why that's important to build that baseline, then I built, um, when when you when you build a projection for how much something's going to grow in time, you're going to factor like you're going to look at inflation, you're going to look at interest rates, you're going to look at um, the growth rate of the asset, uh, and then you're going to have like interest rates assumptions uh, in the future so you can put the valuation. And don't worry about that because you need to take a finance class or two to do that. That's not important. Just know like I did that, and so I said, all right, what is my expectation of the S and P? Over 10 years, well, I expect it to grow at 12% a year over the next decade, right? Um, uh, and let me, one more point of thing. Don't get hung up on the actual numbers because if, if inflation and things are different, right, the numbers are going to change. But if I use the similar assumptions f for each one, then as cause then as one change is going to change all of them, but I'm looking more for relativity, right? So like if I expect one to underperform the average home price, the percentage doesn't matter. It's just more, I expect that one to under, underperform, right? I use all the same assumptions. It's going to underperform. If I expect one to overperform, it's going to overperform. Even if the numbers are different, I'm not saying it will, but I'm saying uh, I'm saying uh, uh, it's reasonable to expect using the same assumptions, right? So I'm, I'm more, don't get stuck on the actual numbers, right? Because whether it's 12, 13, 20, I'm just saying, I think the S&P will do slightly better than the average home price, right? That's what the number is communicating, right? So 12% a year, right? I got Bitcoin at conservatively 39% a year. Uh, and then I got bonds, and I just used the the 10-year bond rate, 4% a year. Um, and and so wh why that's, and then I have other assets that I've, that I've, that I've ranked and valued. But what it lets me know is... Um, if I say, all right, if I invest in the S&P in a decade, how many homes can I buy, right? My calculations say about 1.1 home, right? So I, I protected my purchasing power plus a little bit, right? Uh, if I invest in bonds, right, how much, how much purchasing power am I protecting um, in a decade? Like I'm losing half of my purchasing power by investing in bonds. Like like if I buy a 10-year treasury that pays me 4% a year for the next decade and and the US home the average US home price does what I think it's going to do, well, I lose half of my purchasing power, right? I may have, right? I may have in my example 
you know, if I put five hundred thirteen thousand in, into a bond, right, I might have seven hundred forty four thousand dollars in ten years, right. So I may have more money in numeric terms, but I have like half my purchasing power. You know what I mean? So that, and that matters. And that fools people in this environment because they think they're getting richer, and you're not because it's it's in relative terms. Uh, and so I have I have other investments, right? Like if I look at Bitcoin, based on that assumption, uh, Bitcoin is going to be it's the same five hundred thirteen thousand invested, growing at thirty nine percent a year. That's about thirteen million dollars, right? Which means I could buy like nine homes, right, in a decade from now. Um, um, I, I looked at the equity in my company and those assumptions, and I was like, ah, oh, conservatively, you know, with the, you know, uh, I'll be able to buy five homes, right, from the equity in in my company in ten years, and so. I price my balance sheet, or I price, I price my balance sheet in the currency of uh, average U.S. homes to know. Okay, now I can allocate money properly versus blindly, right? Because some people go, "Oh man, I'm just gonna buy, I'm just gonna buy, I'm just gonna buy. I'm gonna invest in this because it feels good." Well, but how is it? What is it gonna earn relative to like um, purchasing power, right? Um, because if it's not going to beat that, then you don't really want to look at it because you're going to get poorer. Again, your net worth may be higher, but like like billionaires today are the equivalent of millionaires in the 1920s. Like I'm talking about like their share of, of economics um, are like about the same. Like the numbers are bigger, but that's just because the currency is worth less than what it was 100 years ago. Like they're not they're not richer in in relative terms, you know. Um, they are they are just matter of fact. It might be arguable that that they were richer in relative terms than we are, right? We got bigger numbers, but if you look at like the relative share of what they can buy back in the day, they might they might be richer if you convert it back then than they are today, right? But you can't use like the numbers. You can't say this billionaire is richer than John D. Rockefeller. Because you got to break it down to metrics that, you know, if we used, if we converted it to homes, like this would be a good experiment. Look at how many, how many homes could John D. Rockefeller buy the average home price in America at the peak of his wealth? And then the average home price that maybe like Elon Musk or somebody can buy at the, you know, at, you know, at their wealth. And then you convert it and you might be like, oh, they might not be that far apart. You know what I'm saying? In relative wealth terms, because you can't use currency because currency loses value every single year. And I think that's the point that I'm really, really wanting to communicate to specifically Americans because we don't think about currency, right? We just think number go up, right? But it needs to be number go up relative to some metric that can't be manipulated by a central authority. So I really hope this helps. I was going to cover another topic, but I went deep in the weeds on this, but I think that the, the big takeaway is when when you are investing, you need to know your hurdle purchasing power rate. And then you need to be very disciplined about only investing long term money, like money that's going to be 10 years out in things that are not just going to beat the hurdle, not just going to match the hurdle rate, but that is going to uh, grow at a significant level above the hurdle rate. So that way you take your money today and you send it into the future and it makes it without being taken away by what I call like the money printing tax, right? The tax, the, you know, the tax that's taken when money is created and, 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 
uh, and is making the value of, of what you can buy go down. So hope this helps. Until next week, y'all enjoy yourself. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. 